An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash unsuspecting friends a work of art only possible because greg is already meeting all these same people at aarp volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp learn more at aarp.org local what's up everybody welcome to financial heresy where we discuss how money works so that you can make more keep more and give more. There is a very controversial topic that comes up from time to time about whether or not everybody can be rich, whether that is possible for everybody to be rich. Um, th- there's basically two camps uh, to this uh, to this argument. One of the camps uh, views everything in life as a zero-sum game. Um So imagine a pizza, you've got one pizza um, for a party. And so if I have, you know, if there's eight of us and there's eight slices, then an even distribution would be everybody gets one slice of pizza. And uh, if I were to have two slices of pizza, then that would mean somebody else has zero slices of pizza. And uh, the way that uh, that 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 uh, that view of how uh, life works is applied to wealth. Um, by a, a, a very large percentage of the population, and I, I would I would be willing to bet that most people view things this way just without knowing it. Most people do not uh, examine their uh, assumptions about the way the world works, and so when you view the way that people live, um, the actions that they take, uh, they are. Um, uh, aligned with a worldview that uh, that that would suggest 
wealth is a zero sum game. Um, and so whether or not they are consciously aware of the fact that they believe that or not, that's the way that they live. And so if you were to have a conversation with just, you know, a, a, a typical person um, and start to dig down into, hey, well, how do you think the world works? Do you think that wealth is zero sum? Do you think that the, you know, the, you know, millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires who have this money, um, do you think that 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 you could have more wealth and everybody else could have the same amount of wealth that they have? Or do you think that if you were to have more wealth, then that would have to come necessarily at the expense of somebody else? Um, and I think most people would would pro- I, I, I would be willing to bet that that most people, the majority of people would agree with that, that uh, that that wealth is a zero sum game. Now, there is a uh, another camp that says no wealth is not a zero sum game, which by, you know, process of elimination of the, the, the two potential uh, ways that life works would mean that wealth can be both created and destroyed. And so uh, because if it's zero sum, it means all the wealth, there's there's only a specific certain amount of wealth. And so if we have people that are billionaires, hundred billionaires private wealth trillionaires. We have people who are, you know, multimillionaires, uh, millionaires, that if we were to have a fair and even life where everybody had access to uh, the same level of wealth, we would have to take it away from these people and redistribute it. So the claim then that the opposite, which is the claim that I will seek to back up throughout the course of this episode is that wealth is not a zero-sum game, that wealth is uh, able to be both created and destroyed. Um, and so in order to uh, in order to demonstrate that, we do have to get into the game of definitions a little bit so that we can make sure that we are approaching this with uh, uh, you know, an understanding of what we mean by terms. Um, and, uh, and so uh, the first thing that we're going to do is look at look at history. Um, so hi- historically speaking, would you, th- would you say that there's the same level of wealth, the same aggregate total amount of wealth today that there was 50 years ago, or do you think there's more, or do you think there's less? All right. Now, what about a hundred years ago? Is there more wealth, the same wealth or less wealth today than there was a hundred years ago? What about 500 years ago? More, the same or less? What about a thousand years ago? What about 5,000 years ago? Okay. So you may or may not agree that today we have more wealth than we did 50 years ago, but it would, it's, it's as indisputable as it can be that we have more wealth today than we had a hundred years ago. And especially a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago, um, there's significantly more wealth. So what do, what, what do we mean by wealth? So we have to define wealth or define what it means to be rich. Um, one way that people define this is by a, by, by a, a, a dollar number. And so you look and say, okay, well, to be rich, you minimum have to be a millionaire or you minimum have to earn $100,000 a year, which is, you know, today is nothing. Um, Or maybe they say you have to be worth 10 million or 100 million or a billion. But whatever it is, it's just a number that it's a it's a specific number of dollars um, that you have to be worth. You have to own own stuff that's worth at least a specific number of dollars. 
Okay. So with that definition, we're going to tear that definition apart and show why that doesn't work. Um, by just let's let's say you know it, it's arbitrary. It doesn't matter which one we pick, but let's just say it's a million dollars. To to have a million dollars means you're rich. Um, all you have to do is have the Federal Reserve print one million dollars for every single person and deposit that million dollars into their bank account, and they can do that literally with the stroke of a keyboard with a few button clicks. They do this, and then suddenly everybody has a million dollars. And so if they do this, and then everybody has a million dollars, is everybody rich? Well, what happened in 2020 and 2021 when they printed $2,000 for every person? We had record-breaking inflation. It meant those new $2,000 that people got did not buy the same amount of stuff that $2,000 would have bought the year prior because prices went up because suddenly everybody has a bunch of money. So they go to try and spend it and realize there's not enough stuff out there for all that money to get spent. And so there's shortages. Prices go up uh, to compensate as bidding wars happen. People buy and then resell and buy and then resell as the prices of everything go up as that new money gets spent throughout the economy. And you realize that just because the number changed the amount of wealth actually didn't change. Even when you look at people who bought assets, a lot of people bought assets like stocks that went up initially. And then after that initial boom phase, things have gone back down. Prices have started to collapse. And so even the people that thought they got rich from buying assets are waking up and realizing, man, it's right back down where it used to be. Even like look at the stock Amazon. Everybody was complaining about all the billionaires who got rich during the pandemic and Amazon stock price. I, I don't know exactly what it did. Let's let's I'll, I'll pull it up while we're talking here. Uh, so Amazon stock price in the year 2018, um, uh, beginning of 2020. So right before the money printing started, um, it it was in a trading range between $90 and 110. Okay, 105. It was right in there. The money printing started and Amazon stock price peaked at 188. So it basically doubled. And everybody was complaining, oh, Jeff Bezos, he he, you know, he doubled his wealth. He was already a billionaire and now he's worth twice as much as he was before. Um, thanks, Fed. Well, guess what? Guess where Amazon stock price is today? $103.63. Literally right back down to where it was before. So it went up, uh, it doubled, and now it went down by half. It's exactly where it was before. Okay, so w what am I driving at there? Uh, that you can't just assign a number um, to what it means to be rich. Clearly, that number has to mean something because if you just print a million dollars and give it to everybody, well, overnight, you have hyperinflation and the dollar becomes absolutely worthless. Nobody wants to trade it anymore. A new money would take its place. It would just cease to circulate. It would be like the Zimbabwe dollars that, you know, each dollar bill was a hundred trillion Zimbabwe dollars. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. 
all the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. What does it take to run a small business? Heart, smarts, and the nerve to risk it all in the face of adversity. Listen to The Unshakables, the new podcast now available from Chase for Business and iHeart. It features real stories from real small business owners who take you through the turmoil, triumphs, and quick turns that help their businesses break through. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Your teen requested a ride, but this time, not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You probably drive your teenager around a lot. They have gymnastics club, science club, rec soccer club, school soccer club, club soccer club, and three-hour clarinet club on Saturday night. Perfect. Now, with an Uber teen account, you can be there even when you can't. It's an Uber account that allows your teen to request a ride under your supervision. They ride with a highly rated driver. And with live trip tracking, you can follow along the whole ride. Thank you. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Um, and so... If you decided to do that, it would eradicate the value of the currency. And so just because you're a millionaire, then it would mean nothing. So it's behind the money. It's what what does that what does that what does that represent in today's dollars? Um, uh, what does that million dollars mean? Um, it is. Uh, and, and so then some people say, OK, well, uh, to be rich, then uh, if that doesn't matter, if it's not just the number, then uh, to be rich, you have to or wealthy, you have to be richer than a certain percentage of the population. So they view it still as a zero sum game. And they say in order to be rich, you have to be richer than a certain number of people. Um a status game. It's not about the absolute level of access to wealth or luxuries or necessities. It's just about the relative wealth compared to everybody else. Um, and so I, I, I disagree with that, but let's roll with that to see how that plays out. What do you think before I answer this, see if you can see if you know the, I'm curious if you know the answer to this, what is the dollar amount 
that you have to earn in a year right now in 2023 to be in the top 1% in terms of income, not wealth, not net worth, um, income. That number to be in the top 1%, and this is globally, is about $50,000 a year. Now, you might think, well, globally doesn't matter. It's just your own nation. But why? Why does globally not matter? Because in your nation, let's say the United States, uh, uh, most people make over that, or at least in a household. If you've got roommates, you've got uh, a significant other that you're living with, your family, your spouse, you're going to be able to pull in more than $50,000 in a year. And that means relative to the rest of the world, they're still people just because they live in other nations. Like what, why would you draw an arbitrary boundary um, on national lines? And the only reason you would is because you are resentful to the people who have more than you and you don't view yourself as a similar exploiter to the other people who have less than you because of an arbitrary line. You are in the top 1% if you make over 50 grand, globally speaking. So if you think that there is grounds to be uh, resentful and take from the top 1% in your nation, well, then somebody next door to you who has less than you has the exact same argument to take from you. Um, but even, even letting go of that fact, the, the fact that most socialists don't care for the poor, they hate the rich or they hate who are richer than them because many socialists are actually rich. Uh, it's when, when you look at the top 1% in terms of income, globally speaking, that's really not a lot of money. I mean, when you consider what most people think of as rich, nobody thinks of, hey, I just want to make 50 grand and then I'll be set. Um, for most people, that's like a good starting point to, you know, at least be able to cover the basic necessities to start and work on your career and start to try and earn more skills to be able to earn more money later on. Um, so we have to then, we, we still haven't been able to answer the question, what does it mean to be rich? Like really, what is wealthy? So I'm going, when, when we look at those people who we think, hey, that person has it made, that person has wealth, that person um, is rich. Usually what's behind that is a few things. Uh, number one, it's that person has freedom from toil. So what do I mean by toil? It's many people have to do a job that they absolutely despise. They have to wake up every day and roll out of bed when the alarm goes off after winking it twice and thinking there is nothing I want to do less in this moment than get dressed drink my coffee, drive to in traffic to a job that I hate, work for a boss that I can't stand, uh, stay there for more hours than I want to stay there for, clock in and clock out on my breaks and my lunch, have to call clients that I don't want to talk to and convince them to do something with their money that I don't think they should do and deal with clients that don't want to talk to me, whatever the situation is, whether maybe it's 
Maybe it's uh, outdoor labor. Maybe you're, you know, physical, uh, physical labor. You're going, you know, waking up at four thirty in the morning to drive to the job site, and you, you're, you're digging trenches to lay the PVC pipes to install the sprinkler system. And once you do that, you have to bury it, and then you have to uh, load the, you know, unload the sod rolls off the off the trailer and carry them over one by one backbreaking work over to the big lawn that you just installed the sprinklers for and then roll that out and then you have to go the 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 load of the gravel arrives and you've got you know three tons of gravel that just gets dumped off and you have to load it by shovel into a wheelbarrow take it around back and dump it one wheelbarrow at a time and then rake it into position and it's weeks of backbreaking labor uh, in the sun it's like all these examples, it's like clearly <laughs> if you've ever done this, you know that, that that's exactly what it's like. Uh, you're just, you know, a song comes on the radio about, you know, mentioning water and you just you have to you have to survive through your day by, uh, you know, imagining you're, you know, you're swimming at the lake or uh, on a boat somewhere uh, just to be able to make it through the day. These are things that most people have to do and are enslaved to and um, uh, and are it's toil. It is you have to do something. So I'm saying freedom from that is one of the markers of wealth. Um, And when people do work who we view as wealthy and rich, it's work that feels meaningful. It's when I am doing work. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean I don't work hard, but it feels meaningful. So it makes it feel worth it. it, it doesn't feel worthless. Um, you, you, uh, you, you're, per, you perform a task and, uh, whatever it is that you're working on is lined up with the things that you are good at and the things that you enjoy doing. And so it feels, uh, it feels meaningful to you. Um, at the same time, your needs are met. You have more than enough. You are not uh, you don't have sleepless nights wondering, um, you know, what am I going to do if this unexpected expense comes up? How am I going to pay for this unexpected expense that already did come up? Um, uh, I've got my I, I'm not worried about my needs. I'm not worried about my wants. Um, and so in my opinion, that's what uh, that's what rich really is. That's what wealth really is. Um and so that's why people normally assign a number to it and say, okay, well, if I had a million dollars, then I wouldn't have to worry about this. And I, I can tell you, you know, a million dollars is not actually, it's not going to do that for you. Um, a, a better goal for most people is to have income that exceeds your expenses, passive income that exceeds your expenses, um, rather than a lump sum, because a lump sum doesn't spit off any cash flow. And without knowing how to uh, how to create cash flow for yourself, a million dollars is going to be gone like just so quickly. If you just break it down by um, by years and how much you spend, it's like, okay, how much are you going to spend in a year if you don't, if you're not working all day anymore? Say somebody puts a million bucks in your bank account. Um, are you going to spend $50,000 a year? Heck no. You're probably going to spend at least a hundred grand a year because you're not going to be working. You're going to want to enjoy it. You're going to be eating a little bit better foods. You're going to feel rich. You may, maybe you buy a little bit of a nicer car. Maybe you buy a little bit of a nicer house. Maybe you pay off your house. And so you're going to be spending at least a hundred grand a year after the lump sum expenses at the most, that million dollars is going to last you 10 years. That's why most lottery winners who win hundreds of millions of dollars are broke a couple years later. They don't know what to do with the money. So it's not about the money. It's about becoming the type of person that can handle it by doing the things that 
that creates that wealth, not just getting handed that wealth. And so when you look at the people who have the uh, have the wealth, it's um, that they have that it's the work that they do is meaningful. They don't have to do the things that they don't want to do anymore, but they choose to do the work that feels meaningful. They have enough. They're not worried about how they're going to put food on the table the next day. Um, and uh, you have the ability to live a relatively free lifestyle. And this is also worth mentioning that that's why many people who are high earners who work jobs like lawyers and doctors and dentists, um, they never achieve financial freedom because they load themselves up with expenses at the same rate as their income increases, and they have to continue to go in and work this job, this J-O-B, every single day for their entire life as they accumulate more and more expenses. And it's like you know, golden handcuffs. It's, uh, it's, it's not freedom. And so, yes, they have a high amount of income, but um, that's, it's, it's all going out. Uh, it's going in one's in one side and out the other, and so they're not able to achieve that uh, financial freedom. They're not the people that are able to have that freedom from toil. They're still slaves. They still are forced to go do something that uh, they uh, most likely do not want to do. So then the question is: All right, well, if that's what wealth is, and you know, just breaking it down to its most basic fundamental position of not being forced to do anything that you want in order to have your needs met. Um, you, you get to focus on the work that you'd rather do instead. Is it possible that everyone is rich? Is that actually achievable for 8 billion people on earth to do? Um, the answer is yes, 100%. Because again, it's, being rich is not about having a boat. It's not about having a yacht. It's not about having a specific number of dollars in a bank account. It's not about having, uh, you know, a Patek Philippe. It's not about uh, having a uh, Corvette. Whatever, whatever it is that you think is the marker of a, of a wealthy person, or for you would feel like wealth. Um, that's that's not what it is. It's being able to focus on the work that you actually want to do and having freedom from toil and not being worried about having your needs met. Um, so how is it possible that everyone on earth could have this situation? Um, since it's not about the dollars, because you could, you could, you could very easily have be in that position and, um, be making a, a relatively low amount of money. Uh, and when I say relatively low, it's like compared to what people think, like you, you think a lot of these people who have, you know, uh, wealthy lifestyles, they're, they're still going out there and, um, you know, they're slaves to their job, like the doctors and the lawyers that I mentioned. And so maybe they're making $300,000 a year. Maybe they're making a million dollars a year, but they're still, they're still slaves to that toil. And so how do you, how does, how is it possible that everybody uh, in the world uh, can get rich with the real definition of, you know, having, having wealth? Well, it's the same exact process that's actually been going on for thousands of years. So when you look at, when you look at the lifestyle of somebody who used to live, even let's just go back like 300 years, 500 years, most people, it was you know very agricultural. Yes, you had people moving to cities. You had the industrial revolution, um, but a, a lot of a lot of life was literally just you. You work hard labor until you die. 
That's it. And that's most what most of human history was. And so to be able to get to a place where it's like, okay, I know I'm going to have the food that I need. I know I'm going to have the roof over my head. I know my kids are going to have clothes on their backs, the education that they need. And I'm not going to have to worry about uh, any of these, any of these things happening. And in order to get that, I don't have to toil, but I can do work that feels meaningful. It's actually a very, very, very small amount of money needed to do that. Cause you just have to look at, okay, how much passive income do I need in order to cover my expenses? And then I can focus on the work that I need, uh, the work that uh, I would, I would rather be doing. And, um, so what is that process that's been happening for thousands of years that has, um, that has created so much wealth? Because when you look at the, the average poor person today lives a better life than kings used to hundreds of years ago. Like today, let's just look at America. You've got, you've, you've got the average, let's even say like Gen Z, the lowest income uh, uh, you know, uh, demographic is always going to be the youngest. The most wealth is always at the old, at, you know, the oldest people, because if you're not aware, the, the number one highest correlated factor to wealth, to net worth is age, which makes sense. It's like you've got you've had the longest amount of time to work the longest and save up enough and become higher skilled to earn more. It's like the older you are, the more you're going to earn That's and, and the more you're going to have. Um and uh, and the younger you are, the the less skills you're going to have, and so the and the less time you're going to have had to accumulate uh, assets. And so uh, you look at the the youngest people today, Gen Z. Um, they're they're out there, uh, Uber Eats for their meals, um, Netflix for uh, um, for some entertainment and some leisure. Um, you've got uh, Spotify. For for your music, um, you've got running hot water, running cold water. Uh, you got a san- you've got sanitary living conditions. Um, maybe Uber to work. Maybe you work from home. Um, I mean, when you look at the lifestyle of, and that's I, I'm saying poor, but even if we go like poorer than that, like even if we look at the poor, like homeless people today. We actually have a huge problem in the United States that homeless people are obese. If you go back a few hundred years, the only people who had a chance to ever become obese in their entire lives were kings. Those were the only people who had enough leisure act, leisure time sitting around sedentary lifestyle to pack their bodies full of enough calories which is actually pretty hard to do on a natural diet when you're just eating things that, you know, have been around for thousands of years uh, versus today's, you know, lab created food. But uh, it's a topic for a different time. Um, The only people that had the ability to get wealthy or to get fat were the wealthiest, were the kings. And today, literally the poorest people are obese. The homeless people are obese. Everybody, especially in America, everybody is obese. So it's like, all right, nobody has to worry about food, uh, food security in in the United States. That's that's not an issue. Um, running hot water, running cold water, sanitary conditions. Everybody has access to it. What about like like a a, a butler, like a, a chauffeur, somebody somebody who delivers any food that you want. 
at any time of day that you want, which is what Uber Eats is. Most people have access to that. And even if you don't, it's like you walk down to a grocery store. Even if you don't have transportation, you can't afford uh, you know, to, to get a ride there. You walk to a grocery store and you buy groceries for yourself. Like the level of access that we have to all sorts of nutrition. You're not just restricted to, hey, my, my potato crop didn't come in this year. And so we're all going to starve because uh, that's literally our only food source. It's like, no, like we have every food known to man, the best foods known to man at our fingertips 24 seven. So that's not an issue for anybody. What about entertainment? It's like for 10, 20, 30 bucks a month, you get access to music and video streaming and have access to more hours of entertainment than you could actually consume in your entire lifetime. If that's all you did. <laughs> and that type of leisure and entertainment has never been available to anybody in history, like ever. Um, and so you look at the lifestyles that are available to the poor people today, and it is infinitely better in terms of quality of life than somebody 100, 200, 300 years ago, a thousand years ago. So that is uh, essential uh, to understanding, okay, well, if I want freedom from toil, maybe I need to let go of some of these things that I think are necessities and realize, hey, these are luxuries of modern life that, yes, I can have them if I want, but if all I want is freedom from toil, it's actually, you can you can do that with basically no money. If you just have the lifestyle of somebody 100 years ago, it's like, no cell phone, no TV, no Spotify, like, you know, the, like just, just putting yourself in that mindset of, okay, like what does it really mean to be rich? It means freedom from toil. So if I am saying I'm not willing to give up all of these luxuries, which personally, like I'm not, and I'm not suggesting anybody do that, but it's, it's helpful to move forward from here to realize those are luxuries that I am choosing. So I'm not enslaved to this toil out of absolute necessity. It's not like if I dial back my lifestyle, I would end up dying. Like a couple hundred years ago, if you stop working, very good chance you just die as a result. Today, if you scale back and you free yourself from toil intentionally and you let go of some of the luxuries that you didn't realize you've been choosing, you could have a very easy, free lifestyle. This is the whole movement behind minimalism and tiny homes and homesteading. It's like we're going to dial back to a simpler lifestyle, let go of the things that are keeping us you know, in our golden handcuffs. And uh, very cheaply, dollar-wise, we can have the lifestyle that we actually want. Now, um, as time moves on, like the reason why that's possible is because of deflation and technology. That's it. Um, most of these people, a lot of homesteaders, a lot of tiny homes, a lot of minimalists, they have jobs that they have skills um, that they're able to produce with very little work, enough income to support that kind of a lifestyle simply because of the modern age. They're not, uh, and, and then they're able to fund their simple lifestyle with their skill for the modern age. Um, it's not that, you know, when, when you, if you were to try and completely, let's say, go off grid and go out there and only do, you know, ma- growing your own food 
and building all of your own stuff. It's like that's that's you're just actually resetting yourself back to the the bronze age uh, and you've got nobody around you to help you out. So so that's toil. But 99 percent of these people who are doing this, they have a skill where they're working online, um, they're selling something, they're making something, they're participating in the modern culture just enough to be able to fund that simple lifestyle, which is possible because of deflation that technology brings. And so when I talk about technology, I mean literally everything that humans invent in in order to offload human labor, um, outsource human labor. So fire is an example of this. You don't have to go out and eat all day like the monkeys do um, because they're eating raw foods that produce very little nutrients. And so they literally have to eat all day just to be able to get enough calories to digest and uh, be able to continue to survive. Humans don't have to do that because we can cook our food and we can get more nutrients out of them. And um, we, uh, we, we were able to stop you know, being hunter gatherers when we realized, hey, we can just keep the animals and the plants here and grow more of them so we don't have to go out and find them. We just intentionally make more of them right here. And so farming was an invention that allowed us to outsource more human labor. And when we did that, we could build, spend more time figuring out ways to build more steady structures so that we didn't have to spend so much time rebuilding, you know, our roofs or our walls. And then, um, uh, you know, uh, the discovery of of coal, uh, steam engines, and being able to outsource human labor to machines. Uh, and then recently, the information age, being able to outsource a lot of mental um, human labor to computers um, and uh, increase the efficiency of communication. Um, all of these things have allowed way more wealth to be produced than ever could without that innovation, those inventions, that technology. What does that do? That makes things more abundant. So uh, let's look at the example of of a uh, of a cell phone. So and all technology works by like this. By the way, this is just a really easy example because it happened so recently and over such a quick time frame. The very first cell phones were available only to the richest, and that's the only people that bought them, and they didn't work very well. And Technology companies made these cell phones. The rich people bought them. There was a profit. So those companies were able to reinvest that money to make more of them and better of them to continue to try and sell more and more of them to more and more people. And then as those new people who are a little bit less rich than the initial buyers bought them, that was more profits for the companies to reinvest to make better cell phones for cheaper to have access to more markets. And that made those cell phones even better. And this process continues to compound on itself until you have literally every person on earth has a cell phone. Despite how poor you are, you go to India Every single person in India living on less than a dollar a day, they also have a cell phone. So the abundance that is available as a result of technology comes about by things that people need and want getting cheaper because there's more of it. So there's a lot more food today than there has ever been in world history. And guess what? It's cheaper to get enough food to live today than it has ever been in history. And we know that's a fact because even the homeless people with no income are obese, not everywhere in the world, but at least in the U.S. Um, And so deflation and technology makes stuff cheaper because it makes more of it more efficiently. And so as technology increases and as 
humans continue to figure out new ways to take the things that people currently have to do, which are jobs, by the way, just like everything humans have had to do throughout history was a job. They take the things that people currently have to do and they make it into a thing that humans don't have to do. You don't have to farm your own food anymore. That's a good thing. There are less farmers today than there have ever been in history. That's a good thing because you don't have to farm. You can do something else. Those farming jobs were lost. That's a good thing because you can go do something else. So another example of this is NASA. The, uh, the, the movie Hidden Figures illustrated this perfectly, although this was not the point of that movie at all. Um, there are all those ladies who were called computers. Remember that they they were the ones who wrote down the manual, the physical calculations on paper to calculate things. Their job was to compute. They were the computers. And then what we call computer, the actual, you know, the physical computer was invented. And what did they do? They went and learned how to program the computers and they became a million times more productive than they were before. And what did that do? Did that put all the computers out of business? The, the, did that did those people who were computers um, lose their jobs? Well, if they just sat on their butts, then yeah, then they lost their job. But those were the people who had the skills and the capabilities to learn how to use the new machines to become more productive. And so by and large, they did. And by the way, it didn't stop there. It opened up a massive, huge new industry of demand for people who could learn how to program those computers that is still in existence today. I mean, the 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 demand for programmers today is enormous. It's less than it was two years ago because of the tech bubble that happened in 2020. And there are programmers getting laid off today. But you get the point. There's a lot more programmers today than there were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, as we continue to offload human labor, that means we're taking things that humans have to do and making them things that people don't have to do anymore. And that's a good thing. We outsource our human labor. And as we do that, it means that things that people want and need become more accessible. Another way to say that is that it takes less human labor to get the things that we want and need. It takes a lot less human labor today to survive. And by survive, I mean not die than it did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. A lot less human labor to survive. It takes a lot less human labor today to just get by and live a very simple lifestyle than it did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It takes a lot less human labor, and that is a... What does it take to run a small business? Heart, smarts, and the nerve to risk it all in the face of adversity. Listen to The Unshakables, the new podcast now available from Chase for Business and iHeart. It features real stories from real small business owners who take you through the turmoil, triumphs, and quick turns that help their businesses break through. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Your teen requested a ride, but this time, not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You probably drive your teenager around a lot. They have gymnastics club, science club, rec soccer club, school soccer club, club soccer club, and three-hour clarinet club on Saturday night. Perfect. Now, with an Uber teen account, you can be there even when you can't. It's an Uber account that allows your teen to request a ride under your supervision. They ride with a highly rated driver. And with live trip tracking, you can follow along the whole ride. Thank you. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Good thing. What that means is that things get cheaper in terms of human labor. Now, maybe everything doesn't get cheaper. And especially when you have a lot of money printing over short periods of time, prices skyrocket and it can make life harder, not easier. But over the long term, inflation is an anomaly. It's something that happens, causes failure and collapse. And the over uh, overarching deflationary flood of history always pushes forward. And so When I say that everyone can be rich, maybe that is, I'll concede that maybe that's a bit of a fantasy because, you know, I, I don't have any control over what anybody else does. And so personally, what, what, you know, the story earlier about like people who have to toil, that's, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, my first real job out of college uh, I actually worked at Amazon. Um, I uh, worked in their uh, uh, global security. So I thought this was like, you know, I, I was really excited. I thought it was a really cool job. It was, you know, a big career. I got hired by a big company. It was like, I'm, you know, getting started with something that I can be proud of. Like it, it felt, I felt very, it felt very cool uh, to be able to go get this job. Um, the job title sounded enticing. Um, global security. And <laughs> Uh, the details of the job, literally, you'd sit in front of a computer screen and on this computer screen, you've, you know, you've got 100 programs running on one of them. 
it has um, it has these uh, lights, these little these little dots that are gray or black. And every once in a while, one of them will turn red. And when one of your dots goes from black to red, it means that a door somewhere on some Amazon property somewhere uh, just got opened. And then it goes back to black when that door gets closed. So it's a door or a gate or a window or something like that gets opened. So it's all tied into their whole network. And I'm watching all this. And uh, if a door gets left open for too long or a gate or something, then a local alarm will go off. It'll start to beep or buzz. And that'll notify their local security uh, to go you know, see what's causing that door to get left open and shut the door. And if it persists for too long, then that red light starts like flashing at me. And once it starts flashing at me, my job is to call on the phone, pick up the phone and call that local security team and say, hey, you've got a door open. You've got an alarm going off, you know, in this area. Go figure out what's going on and then hang up, wait for them. If they don't respond within a certain amount of time, got to call them again. Once they tell me, OK, we resolved it, then I can see, hey, yep, the door got shut. Um or it's a faulty alarm. Like I'm explaining this in detail just to show you how mind numbingly boring and meaningless this job. Literally one computer program could have done the job of my entire department. And I'm sure today a computer program actually does. Amazon's pretty, you know, fast at fixing things like this and so I'm, I'm I would not be surprised that whole department doesn't even exist anymore. It's just a software program that automatically does this and maybe you've got one person overseeing it to make sure it still works. But in any case, you can imagine how mind-numbing this would be. And by the way, it was I was in a night shift position uh, to not see any of my friends, you know, be off my sleep schedule, get there when it's dark. Uh, you know, no, I would get there when the sun was setting the, you know, so it's bright out, but the sun was setting and I'd leave in the morning when the sun was rising and to sit there for 12 hours straight and just watch a computer screen and wait for lights to blink and then call somebody to say, Hey, make your lights stop blinking. Like that was it. And you might think, well, that, you know, that sounds nice. You're complaining about that. It's like, yeah, it's nice for a week. Just go try and do that. And then realize this is not hard. This is meaningless. I'm bored out of my skull and there's no chance that I can do anything else uh, for minimum months, but likely years. That's not a good position to be in. You get borderline depressed, if not depressed very quickly. Um, And so I was able to move out from, move on from that. And that's when I became a stockbroker. I got very interested in finance. My buddy helped me get a job as a stockbroker, but very quickly after I got as high as I could there, you know, I was making good money, making 250 by the end and I couldn't stand it anymore. Same thing. I was waking up every morning wishing that I had eight sick hours built up so I could call out sick, (laughs) spent every single day, just couldn't wait for the moment that I could clock out and go home. Every dial, 200 dials a day, just cold calling all day long sales. And it gets to a point where it just drains on you. And so after that, I moved on and I started my own business. That's when I quit my job as a stockbroker and um, I started Heresy Financial. Um, It was a while before I was able to make enough money to be able to cover my expenses. it was, it was, a, it was about a year and a half and 
I would never, ever, ever take it back or, or personally choose to stay there longer and build my business on the side. It's like the things that I needed to be able to give my family and uh, to be able to make life work and to feel fulfilled. And, you know, you, you make, a, you make a lot less money at first, you know, I'm making a lot more now, but you make a lot less than you were making when you quit your job and you feel way richer. You feel way more wealthy because you've got your time. You're not forced to wake up. You don't have to answer to this boss. You don't have to do those dials. You're you're in control. Now there's there's other trade-offs, right? You're uh, you've got the sleepless nights. You've got the wondering, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, uh, you know, is this thing that I'm trying going to work? Is it not going to work? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of other things that are difficult about it, but it's it's a different it's a different difficulty. It's a responsibility that you're able to willingly bear and you get you get to choose your burden instead of having a burden forced upon you. Um and so I I tell that story because um and even the landscaping job that I talked about like that was, you know, my one of my jobs after high school, like, you know, all summer long literally backbreaking work in the in the Phoenix summer sun. Um you know, driving a car without air conditioning. Um and you get home and the seat's just, you know, soaking wet from your own sweat. So I understand uh, the, I, basically I understand both sides of this. And many times it's worth it to cut yourself off from the golden handcuffs um, and recognize what real wealth is. And that it's not being enslaved to a certain dollar amount or a certain um, uh, income amount. Um, that real wealth is something different. It's about freedom from toil. And the ironic part is, you know, I made that jump and I uh, took a year and a half before I could pay my bills um, from from my business. But today I make way more than what I ever made when I had a job. And so that's the ironic part about this is that when you realize what true wealth is, um, or the paradoxical part maybe is a, is a better word. And you give up like the the income or the job or the security and you take the leap of faith and you take the risk and you embrace what true wealth is, which is maybe less money at first um, or a lot less money for a while. Um, and you do meaningful, meaningful work that you're good at and you enjoy and you start to build something um, that that feel that you are confident you are doing a service to society in the best way you know how, then many times you're actually going to end up a lot wealthier than you were before when you were, when you had those golden handcuffs, um, even in, in the dollar terms, even in the old way you were measuring it, you're better off, especially in the new way that you're measuring it. Um, and so maybe everyone out there can't be, a uh, can't, can't be rich. Maybe that's a bit of a fantasy because I can't control what other people do, but Anyone absolutely can be rich. That is 100% true. And that is a hill that I will die on. You just have to do the right things. If you, you don't, don't control anybody, 8 billion people, who cares? You. If you're in the situation that I've, you know, like I said, I was in for a long time, the golden handcuffs um, or even the, the bronze handcuffs or the steel handcuffs or the, <laughs> the gravel handcuffs. Um, all you have to do is take the right st- set of actions and it's not going to happen immediately. There's going to be a lot of hard work along the way. Um, but one step after another will get you there eventually. Um, and anyone, anyone can, 
It's about number one, recognizing what are the things that I'm holding on to that I can actually let go of that will give me a little bit more freedom to pursue meaningful work. Don't quit your, I don't recommend doing what I did, which is quitting your day job and just jumping in before you have a plan or a business or any income or anything like that. I don't recommend it because it's, it's just not smart. Um, I wouldn't change it, but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Um, it's, um, it's, it's about, it's about making more income using as much of your income as possible to buy as many assets as possible, recognizing, Hey, if I quit Netflix, then I can spend an hour a day. If I quit TikTok, then I can spend two hours a day. If I quit doing all these little things where I'm wasting my time and I can find that time that I'm wasting and I can instead focus that on learning a specific business, improving a specific skill, and then trying to market that skill to others as a service, try and package something together as a product and sell that uh, and find a, a channel and avenue to sell that through, whether that's through Utah, YouTube or Twitter or uh, Instagram or whatever it is, or paid ads, what, whatever the avenue is, learning a few sets of skills that line up together in your off time and building that and then saying, okay, I'm going to sacrifice the things that I don't want now because ultimately that has a better chance of getting me to the thing that I want in the future. And if I don't do this, well, what I'm really saying then is that I'm sacrificing the things that I really want in the future for the things that I don't really care as much about right now. And that's not a good life to live. And you'll wake up very quickly. Years will pass and, uh, regret will set in and, um, and it'll be, it'll be even harder to make a change at that point. So don't wait. Um, I, I know that it's, uh, I know that it's, uh, a little bit terrifying sometimes a little bit scary, but you don't have to take a giant leap. You can just take a little tiny step. Um, watch one less epi- episode per day. Uh, watch, you know, do, do something in the found time during your commute when you're, um, when you're doing dishes, when you're going somewhere, um, use that found time to start to build skills that can uh, start to make you the income that you need to be able to cut those handcuffs off. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Your teen requested a ride, but this time, not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You probably drive your teenager around a lot. They have gymnastics club, science club, rec soccer club, school soccer club, club soccer club, and three-hour clarinet club on Saturday night. Perfect. Now, with an Uber teen account, you can be there even when you can't. It's an Uber account that allows your teen to request a ride under your supervision. They ride with a highly rated driver. And with live trip tracking, you can follow along the whole ride. Thank you. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. This podcast is brought to you by Natural. Rise and shine, feeling more like rise and wine? Get your sleep together with Natural Melatonin Gummies and conquer your mornings so you can conquer your goals. Natural Melatonin helps reset your sleep cycle. They are made with clean ingredients and help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up rested and ready to conquer the day. Shop now at natural.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease.